0: the shiva.net we have the 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 din of the the of the carbon omer of spheraimer and we also have you count the 49 days then the posuk says that on the 50th day which of course we celebrate as shvuas hagshvuas there was another special carbon what was brought then they would bring, specially, besides the other offerings of daily and, and shvuas, there was a special carbon known as shteha And interesting, this was already made from wheat, not barley. Michael Adam. It was the only carbon that was made of chametz. This was the Gepasach says it has to be after chametz. Of course, the barley on Pesach wasn't chametz. No menachas were chametz. Everything was matzah in the base of upon him was all matzah. It was not year, chametz all year. it Was matzah. The exception is Shvuas, There was shtei alechem, two loaves of bread that were made afker from chametz, from flour of wheat, and it was brought with shnei kvasim, and that's what the pasuk says: alechem habikurim, al shnei kvasim chuli. The 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 koyin would lift them up. He would lift up the lechem ha This was the first carbon that was brought from the new grain, from the new wheat. The barley already had the carbon oimer, but from the wheat, which all the carbonas were usually brought from wheat, not from barley. Barley was Pesach, besides a It was a unique carbon, but generally everything was brought from wheat. So the first, the bikurim, the first carbon that was brought from the new produce that grew in the new season, was what? From the wheat was the carbon... Uh, the so carbon on Shavuos. That... No. no Bikurim is the new fruits in your field. From the Shiva Samminim, you filled up a basket and you brought to your shalim and gave to the Kayan after Shavuos. Yeah. Biko- yeah, Bikur- Bikur- the word Bikurim from the word pchar, the first. Lechem ha- Bikurim, this is the first bread. Why is it the first? Because the first carbon that you brought to the beis HaMikdash from the new season of produce of wheat was this. In other words, if I wanted to bring a mincha in the month of Iyar, I could only bring from the old grain. From the grain that already that was there already last Shvuas. You understand that last Shvuas was Mataret. Okay. okay, just like when it comes to Chodesh, it has to be from the grain that Pesach passed, so this has to be Shvuas. But this was the new carbon. Because we don't have a bash so it's not relevant. No I'm saying then Fruits, you came to the Bikurim, no. you gave them, and you came to the Bikurim, no. you made a whole thing, right? No. Why don't we do the same by grains? Well, we do different things. We do trumas, we do maestres. Okay. okay. Saying, it's, it's, it's not so much simcha, that's more, yeah. that's more vital stuff. It's, it's bread, wheat, barley, it's grains. The Bikurim was for fruits. That goes with two, right? A... Vesamachta b'chalatay, vesamachta b'chalatay. We so the Gemara says, basically the Kayan would take the two breads on top and then the Kvasim were under the lechem. He would put the bread and he would lift them both up before offering. understand this, what's this idea of connecting the sheep and the bread and waving them both? It's a strange ritual. So you say, okay, the whole thing is strange. You put them and then you lift them up. What's the Havana here? It's known. A line. Talk about articulating something in a sentence. The objective of all of existence is that the yesh should be bottled to the ayin. That's the objective of all of existence.. And in every world, meaning in every realm, in every person, in every, experience, in every uh, realm of reality, hayesh means something else, according to what it is. So the common denominator in the whole Bria is Hashem made from Ayin, Yesh. And the purpose is that we make from Yesh, Ayin. In other words, the process of creation is that God morphed godliness into egocentric reality. From Ayin, which means nothingness, into Yesh, into somethingness. The purpose is that the person should now reveal the organic oneness and spirituality of the universe and of all matter, which means convert the yesh back into ayin. So God made energy into matter, and we turn matter back into energy. God made gash, Hashem made from Ruchniz Gashmis, so we should make from Gashmis Ruchniz. So the process of creation, from Hashem's perspective, was turning ayin into yesh, meaning taking divinity which we call ayin because it's intangible. Nothingness here doesn't mean nothingness doesn't exist. You say the world comes may ayin liesh, It didn't come may ayin, it came from Hashem. May ayin means it comes from something that we call ayin in our vocabulary and turns it into a yesh. Yesh means somethingness, or what we call the tangible, the reality, the yesh. But that is the superficial veneer of reality. The tachlis is lias hayesh batala ayin. The yesh should be subservient. The yesh should recognize that it's really part of the ayin. It's really part of something that's far deeper, less tangible, which you would call ethereal, uh, nothingness, which is a form of a higher reality, a spiritual, a spiritual reality. The truth is, he says, this is the takhlas kol The takhlas kol is <coughs> bitil hayesh la ayin. But in every world, bitil hayesh means something else based on who you are and what your sensitivity is. You have bitl hayesh, the way it's expressed even in science, for example. What's bitl hayesh, in science? Pasha. Today much of science and physics deals with this. When you look at the world, we spoke about this many times, what I see here is a table, and a very powerful table. It's a strong yesh. If you want to use psychological terms, it has an ego. It doesn't... (laughs) It doesn't just let, you know... Sometimes you punch ear, yeah. There's no resistance. Yeah. You go like this. There's resistance. That's why there's an echo. It gives you what's called an erchaiser. It gives you feedback. It gives you feedback. Some people you punch. There's no feedback. Some people get into fight with their spouses just to get some feedback. And something's get feedback. You know, when you uh, you punch a rock or something else, it'll give you even more feedback. So there's a strong yesh, right? But that's we almost superficially because if we use the tools that we have today, we know that inside this solid piece of matter which just seems like a, a dead piece of a wood or rock or whatever it is, you have an entire mobile universe happening because it's comprised of millions and millions and billions and billions of atoms and the atom itself mm-hmm is unique, the atom itself is made up, is comprised of subatomic particles, you have what's called protons, neutrons, electrons, and the fascinating thing is, that we know today, for a long time already, for quite a few decades, that most of matter, most of any matter, most of this cup, majority of it is empty space, because the majority of the atom is empty space. You have the nucleus of the atom and you have the electron that moves around the nucleus of the atom. But most of it from here to here, right? Like the bima is in the middle and then you're doing hakafus around the bima. But the space between the bima and the hakafus, that's the majority of matter. And when I say majority, I don't mean 51%. I mean 99.9%. So really, our eyes just don't tell us that. Our eyes put everything together. We, We smash the bima close to the people walking around the bima. I'm just trying to give a metaphor that everybody will understand. <laughs> Probably not what they use in high school to describe the electron, our coffers around the bima, but uh, maybe it's not such a remote dogma, right? Our, our eyes put it together because it's too small, so we don't, we don't deal with space like that. We put it all together. But really, you're dealing... So what does this mean? On one level, it's yesh, but if you see the truth, most of it is what is literally ayin, is really empty space. So that means most of life is intangible. And it's in the intangible where life happens. So that's a certain sensitivity, even from a secular scientific point of view, nothing to do with religion. How are you mavaldlisyech? Ah, huh? how are you mavaldlisyech? So, Bitleesh, we're not talking here about punching it. It's the recognition that the spirituality of a person is really what life is about. It's called Hagbaras, Hatsura al Hachaymer. It's basically understanding that the inner substance, the inner energy, is really the core of reality. And not to get uh, seduced, that's the word, not to be seduced by the superficial yesh. On on another level, an emotional level, it's, for example, ego. Ego is yesh. A person who lives uh, always, their their, their paradigm is, I have to be right. Scoring points, um, looking for validation. I'm sometimes living with a very superficial part of myself. I'm living with a yesh that's desperately trying to be a yesh, and I'm not in touch with my own ayin. My own ayin is my place of of, of wholesomeness, my place of divinity, the place where the human being is really a, a light of Hashem. So it's in everything like that. You take a piece of food, yeah? what do you see in the food? Do you see the yesh of the food, or do you see the ayin of the food? Again, even nutrition. A good nutritionist, what is he telling you? Al Tabit al Mareyu, don't look at the food just superficially. Dissect it. Look at the food. It's going into you. What is this gonna to do to your bloodstream? What's going into you? For this, you have to open it, you have to you have to dissect it. You have to look at the not at the yesh, you have to look at the ayin. What's the ayin? The energy, the chayas, the ur that's in it. You understand? Now, in every world, it's Lafima Drey You can't compare it because the yesh in every world means something else. What do you mean by every world? You mean, is that what you mean by I mean Atzilus Briyatzira Asiyah, but also in each one of them, in every realm, in every consciousness, Yesh means something else. For one person, Yesh is this, Bitlayesh is something else. Right? Just like one person, if he, if, he, if he lifts weight 20 pounds, it's meaningless. It's like picking up a piece of paper. For another person, he lifts weight 20 pounds and he's about to have a heart attack. He never did it before. One person runs up a flight of stairs; it means nothing. Another person can't breathe for twenty-five minutes. You know what I mean? So why? Because his body is in a different place. So bitl of the body is in a different place. So the same is true in spirituality. Every every and it's a very important qualification. Bittul hayash could mean opposite things for different people. I'll give you an example, an interesting example. There was a yid I knew, he lived in Minnesota. He was a big professor of uh, of uh, solar energy. He worked for he was and also into microbiology. Uh, very interesting stuff. He was, a, he was a science and physics. He worked for NASA for many years, and he was a professor for uh, astrophysics. He was a professor in Minnesota, and then he moved to Israel and he became a professor in uh, Ben Gurion University in Be'er Sheva, the city. His name was Velvel Green, Professor Velvel Green. He was a very, very secular Jew, real scientist, secular Jew, like the Americans know how to produce. And uh, he lived in St. Paul in Minnesota. He passed away some time ago, not a long time ago, I knew, I knew him. Very interesting, interesting person. The Chabat Shliech to St. Paul, Minnesota, is a man, also a friend of mine, his name is Rabbi Moshe Feller, for many, many years, since the early 60s. And uh, he came in contact with Velvel Green in the early 60s. They started to talk and, of course, argue. And uh, Velvel Green, you know, was a real atheist, top intellectual scientist, would accept nothing of the superstitions of religion, never mind of orthodoxy, Judaism, Torah, and so forth. But slowly they developed a pretty warm relationship. And Velvel Green started to... uh, Started to have a lot of correspondence with the Lubavitcher Reb on issues of science. Very interesting correspondence for many years, the sixties. Anyway, Vayhi Ayoyim, he was getting closer. He started to send his kids to Jewish camps. So one day he's accepting himself kashrus. Well, we're accepting himself kashrus. Okay, it's a thing thingy Kashra's house. One day, he was going for a conference, I think, uh, to another state. I don't remember, to Chicago, I think to Chicago, or some, somewhere he was going on a conference, and uh, uh, an academic conference. So he took his doggy bag. He took a doggy bag for cash. Paul, he forgot it. So he came to the airport, and the plane was delayed a very long time. And he had to sit a whole day in the airport, and he was starving. This is the 60s. And he saw McDonald's, or whatever they had then, you know, in the airports, and everybody's going and eating a hot dog with with French fries, and mustard, and sauerkraut, the works. And till till just a few days before, that's what he would do. But he just accepted on himself kashrus. So he uh, he decided that uh, you know he's going to delay his acceptance of kashrus a few days. But then he said, "No, you have to be a man. You accepted kashrus." But he's there. He was a pretty chubby fellow, and he's starving, and you know, the stomach starts telling you that it's hungry, it's making its noises, and he's sitting there and starving and starving, and everybody's buying their hot dogs, and he says, this is ridiculous. So he calls up from a public phone, he calls up Moshe fellow, who was his rabbi, and he says, I always knew you're Meshuggah, but now I see that you're really a Meshuggah now. Who in their normal mind could believe that a God, a God who's infinite, yeah, cares generally about this planet and about this planet, if Velvel Green is going to eat a hot dog in a bun or not a hot dog in a bun, to believe that God is concerned with this, you're crazy. You're an absolute mishugana and despite everything, I decided this religion is not for me. And I'm right now going. I'm going to buy a hot dog here at McDonald's and put mustard on it. I'm starving, I'm starving. I'm not, and I'm going to eat it. And I just wanted to tell you, you're confirmed to be crazy. So Moshe Feller, all of his anger, you know. Moshe Feller, he says, I want to tell you something. that Velveli says, you always asked me, yeah, what's the essence of Judaism? What's the essence of Judaism? What is Judaism? And I told you to serve God. You said, you know, what, what does that mean? What is, what is it? What is the essence of Judaism? What is, it, what is it to serve God? So I just want to tell you that right now, you're experiencing the essence of Judaism. You could sit for another 10 years and learn and philosophize. But right now, you're experiencing the essence of Judaism. You want to eat a hot dog, and you're not going to eat the hot dog simply because God doesn't want a Jew to eat this hot dog. You will experience the essence of Judaism. You will get to serve God for the first time in your life because the only reason you're doing it is to serve God. And Velvel Green did not buy the hot dog. <laughs> and he told this story, it changed his whole life. Okay. Now I want to ask you a question. If you have a Yid who grew up his whole life in Ahol HaShol And he's sitting in JFK or LaGuardia and he's starving. It happened to be more than once. And there's a beautiful (coughs) McDonald's or Burger King or Kentucky Fried or whatever. And it's not kosher yet. Probably in a few years the Badats will adopt it. And everyone is going in and buying it. And you say, why am I the (coughs) Meshuggah, right? But you you don't even think to go go buy the hot dog. And if you'll come back to your own Rebbe and say, you know, yesterday I became a real Ovid Hashem because I didn't buy a hot dog at McDonald's, he'll probably look at you a little strange. Because the temptation wasn't that powerful because the whole thing is not part of your vocabulary. But for him, that was a point of truth. It was a moment of truth. That was his bitul Hayesh. For him, bitul Hayesh was saying no to a hot dog at McDonald's. For somebody else... That's meaningless, it's nothing. His bit layash is completely something else. So your moment of truth is not my moment of truth. For one person making a certain telephone call, that's a moment of truth. For another person, it's meaningless. For one person saying I'm sorry in a particular situation is a moment of truth. For another person, it doesn't mean anything. Again, for one person bench pressing 450 pounds, that's their exercise. Anything less is jokes. It's, jokes. Stop. it's like sleeping, it's like eating cotton candy. So call echad madre So it's an important yisoid. You have to know your yesh. And what does it mean? Bitlaiyesh. So la ayin would mean this. When you say tachlis kol abri is la ayin. I once uh, spoke to a Buddhist who became a real Jew. A Jewish Buddhist. He became a real Jew. So he understands spirituality very well. So I asked him what's the definition of Judaism. He said a daily battle for transcendence. The daily battle for transcendence. It was a beautiful definition. A daily battle for transcendence. What does transcendence mean? A daily battle for transcendence of spirit over matter. Energy. Energy over the brute. Spirituality over the physicality. Substance over form. Light over vessel. It's the transcendence of the tzura on the chaymer. It's that the yesh is a partner, is is an outgrowth of the ayin. The yesh is part of the ayin. Not, we're not talking here about destroy, destroying the yesh. It's about aligning the yesh. Bittle doesn't mean destruction. I know in halacha, Bittle means bitl khametz. Bittle in Hasidus, in Kabbalah, means alignment. Because in energy, there's no bitl. You can't destroy energy. In physics, there's no other no thing you destroy energy. Huh? You transform energy. You understand? It morphs. It evolves. It develops. It takes on new forms. You don't destroy it. Even physical destruction, you don't really destroy it. It takes on a different form. What the Gemara says, "Panem chadashas When you burn something, the Gemara says, "Afer is panem chadashas." Panem chadashas means you have a new face. A new face means you have a new face, but it's the same energy, right? So, bittel doesn't mean you destroy. Bittel means you align it. You align it. You uncover its ultimate its ultimate mm-hmm. core. And as a result of that, the yeshus is batal. The yeshus the means the separateness of it, the detachment of it. The sense of egotism is batal. So in every island, bitla yesh is lefim V'hine iker ha hu li is bottle, v'nech lal mamish ba-odin sa'yif baruchu v'miyuched b'ay bi-yichud v'amiti ha is Achdus Avery Haguf, benefesh Achyunis, Hasherum is Labish Besochum. She ain't let him Chius Acher me belodi Chayus Hanefesh, Belochenho Evorim, the Shmoim Lerots and Hanefesh, be Bittlvis Achdus Gomer. The Kach Tiena Koiches Nafesh and Chyunis, Ptelois, Vinichlois, Mamish Baurin Seif Boruch, Hasherum, Makafal Nafshe. Beautiful marshal what Bittl is. The ultimate Bittl Ayash is. To be completely submerged in the divine energy, which is everything. Everything is divine energy. Back to our atomic muscle, the empty space, what's the divine energy? And that's the Iker. Real, the ultimate bit line exists on many levels. Sometimes just working, going the extra mile is bit layash. What's the ultimate bit layash? To be submerged in ayin and sayf and completely unified. What's the muscle? The limbs with the soul. It never happens, unless chas somebody is ill, I'm talking, I want to lift up my hand to make a point, and my hand says to me, Rabbi Jacobson, I'm not in the mood. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? I'm an independent person. The evrei hanefesh are so in touch with the brain, with the nervous system, with really the soul, with the mind, with the consciousness, they're completely one to the point that you're not even, so to speak, even. there's, no, there's almost no delay of time between when you want to do it. It's so, it's so in touch with it. It's not like I am sitting and I tell myself, okay, now, for the sake of uh, theatrics, pick up your hand. It doesn't work like that, right? It's almost like it, instinctive. The, 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 the brain makes these decisions and the body Is so in touch with those brains' decisions, with the soul's decisions, because the unity is so deep. So he says, the Evarim listen to the Ratz and Hanefesh. So what does bitl here mean? Bitl means the Evarim are destroyed, means they're aligned. What's the definition of illness? That chas Shalom, one cannot function in this way because there is a break, there's a partition. That's the lack of bitl. Yesh means you're disconnected. And when you're disconnected, you can't really be confident. So that's the paradox. Mm -hmm. More bittel, more confidence. More yesh, less confidence. Because confidence means when you're completely true to yourself. A healthy aver means you're completely one with your brain, completely one with your spiritual central nervous system, completely one with the entire energy of the body, which is centered in the brain, where the soul is. So therefore, as a result of that, This represents what real unity is. Real unity means I'm completely aligned with my source. So spiritually, it means that the koyches of my nefesh are completely one with the Ohrin Seif, with the divine energy which is on my soul. The problem is there's no way to find this in the world. By the nature of a person, you don't have this ever, that a person should be able to nullify their rutsen before the rutsen of other, others as though you don't have another Rutzen. It's not that the Aver struggles and says, I have my own personality, but you know what? This brain is a real dictator, and therefore I'm going to do it. No, he doesn't experience himself as anything else. So we have plenty of dictators in our world, but this concept, but when you have a dictator, you have another ruts, and it's just you're forced. That's not called bitl. That's called forced, coercion. It's actually the opposite. You're not interested. Here we're talking about, is there a phenomenon of somebody who can completely identify himself with the other to the point that I am, like I see myself as an extension. It doesn't work that way. We don't have this. Ela tevazuhi bebehemah. The only living creatures who have this nature are animals. The animal is completely dedicated to the will of the master. So here you have a romantic exposition that there's something in the Behemoth that no people have. The behemah has that... uh, I just saw, uh, somebody sent me a story a few days ago there was a loyalty loyalty to the point that you don't see yourself as separate it's, not a, it's like the limbs and the brain the limbs don't have a struggle right? we don't have this in Gashmis between people you have it with your car you get into your car, the car doesn't say, you say okay we're going to Barbara, the car says no we're going to Manhattan unless you have a certain type of car then maybe that's called a Merkava, but that's a diamond. that's a lifeless thing, but in a living organism by a person it doesn't work this way The moment your child reaches a certain state, it's a mitzvah not to obey. (laughs) It's a mitzvah not to listen. So we have it in the body, but the body is one cohesive entity. It's one organism. But to have two separate organisms and they should have that attachment, we don't have it. You have today what they call, in in, in studies of science, they call superorganisms. They call, for example, you'll have a colony of 100 million ants and they all work together, so they call it a superorganism. It's like one body that's separated in a hundred million ants, because they work so much together, no one knows how they do it. How they do it. It's unbelievable. They have this inherent uh, uh, loyalty and dedication. So this is only in Min HaChai. Then you have a dog, and the dog is completely loyal to the Master. Completely. It's not just, I'm going to force you. It reaches a point where it has L'Chadchile, no Ratzin, outside the Ratzin of the Master. That's by Behe. He says you only have it by Behemis, you don't have it by people. So somebody sent me a story that there was a, a family. Um, uh, I read a story that the, the the girl was outside by the pool in the back of the house with her grandmother, and the dog was also there. And a snake, a venomous snake came and uh, was about to attack the girl and bite the girl, and the dog jumped in between, and the dog, uh, the dog got the full bite. So it's, they took the dog to intensive care unit because... Uh, it's uh, it was a deathly it was a deathly bite so the dog literally jumped in and uh, saved the life uh, saved the life of this girl so the balatanya says that by behemus you see this bitl, vahainu listen why bpineki shorshan v see bahari baharire kaidish he madregus aljoinus bauden saif baruchu, for some inhabitant's beetle bauden saif mamish because the ysaid the shirish of behemus comes from a very high madregas and divine energy. And there, they're taken completely bottle. But these madregas fell down very low and assumed the identity of animals. And now, how is their bittle translated? They're under people. It used to be in their shoyrish, it's spiritual energy that is really completely bottled to wow. the, the divine. But it went through a nephila, went through a break, a, 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 so to speak, a breakdown, and the energy assumes the identity of an animal. So it still has the same capacity for surrender. But where is the outlet for surrender? Now it's for a person. This is the whole mystery of carbonus. What's carbonus? They took a behema. They didn't slaughter a behemah. They sublimated. They took the behemah and they took back its energy, its chius, to go back to its source where it's mamash, where it's completely one with the divine energy, which is the carbon. That's why from all carbon you're never allowed to take a chay, even a kosher chay. Because behemahs have much more bitl than chayos. Chayos have... Aggressive, independent personalities. al pi From all the behemahs, which was the most common carbon in halacha, in the Beis HaMikdash? Sheep. sheep. It says Because from all the behemoths which behema has the most bitl, the most uh, natural subservience? It's the sheep. He says, kehabokar p'nei shermi ha-smoil gvuras. The mammal, the ox, is also kosher. That comes from the left side, which is gvura. V'gam shermi nageyach bekarno. An ox, you get it, you get it, he's having a bad day, he'll gore with his horns. Ve'izim and goats, heim gamkin pchinis gvuris. If you ever had a farm, you know goats are shrewd, aggressive, sly, clever, and tough. Aval kvasim heim pchinis rachimim. Sheep embody compassion. Haksovim hifrid yakov. The Possig says, Yaakov separated some yaakov is rachim. She kvassim heim pchinis midoysov, shal yaakov rachim. And he says something very powerful. You ever heard a sheep uh, emit its voice? It has a voice. It sounds better in the real sheep. I don't have so much bitl. The sheep has a coil of rahmanas. It arouses your compassion. Sheep arouse. Empathy. Why? So even when it's which is ultimately very high, fell down into a physical sheep. They still have that voice that arouses compassion. They also have a certain weakness. They're, they're, uh, they're submissive, they're docile. Right? even in English, you say he's a sheep. He's a sheep. It represents a certain submission. Then he says it also has it also has wool. Well, I'll call upon him. This is a general perspective on the concept of carbonus. Why carbonus? Why behemus? Not because we discriminate against behemus. On the contrary, the behemus really have something that humans have to learn from. We are very protective about our energy because most people, because if we submit, who are we submitting to? Dictators and tyrants. We don't want that. So we hold on to our democratic freedoms very, very dearly. Right? But what about the limbs of the body? They don't hold on to their democratic freedom. You know why? Because for them, bittal is self-expression. Bittal means connecting to your own brain that is your life that is your sp- central nervous system it's not like if you're loyal to your brain you're being uh, you're being sub- you're submitting yourself to a tyrant on the contrary imagine a-, 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 a kidney or a liver or a pancreas or an arm says you know what i had enough of this little jello a few inch brain in my mind like a little napoleon literally the smallest part of my body who's telling me everything to do i had enough free at last, free at last. And he takes a knife, opens his head, takes out the brain, and throws it in the garbage. The only problem is, it's Yizgadal v'Yizkadash. Because if the brain is in the garbage, everybody else is in the garbage. So what's Bittl here? Bittel doesn't mean I destroy myself. Bittel means I align myself with my source of energy. What is the source of all energy? Ain Soif. So Bittl means a relationship with ain Soif. The behemoth has it expressed in this world, but misdirected. The behemoth is surrendered to people. But the, the shayrish is to the ain't soif, and the carbonus brings that out, especially the sheep, because the sheep has this teva more even than any other behemoth. But generally, only behemoth is not chayis, because even though chayis also have bitul, you could domesticate them, you could control them, but you can't compare it to a behemoth. A behemoth submits naturally. You can't domesticate a lion or a tiger. It's not good even to try because naturally, then the Gemara says, Bene tarbus." They're not—they're not made for, for domestication. They're made to be on the wild. They're jungle animals. They're—they're they're not made to be trapped. The keves—you're not trapping it. That's its—it's—it's its, its, its destiny. Like people have dogs, kellev is kulei leiv. It's at becomes becomes the master. So that's the idea of uh, of uh, of the carbonus of these behemets and chai. So this is the introduction to understand the carbon of shtei Allah on shavuos. So this is the explanation of a very interesting mitzvah that existed on shavuos on Pesach when they brought the carbon oimer. The kohen lifted the oimer. What does it mean? He lifted the oimer. The oimer was a certain measurement of flour that came from barley, I'm talking about the carbon oimer, that's why it's called oimer, oimer is a measurement, it's a volume of flour, basically 43.2 eggs, the volume of 43.2 eggs, the shear that makes you chayiv and chala. if you have a dough, it was the shear of the man, ha oimer asir for the past success. so that was the flour of the carbon oimer, of barley, Michael behema, as he discussed in the earlier mimer, Svarta, and uh, the koyen would lift that up, the Kayan would lift that up and then do Kmitzah, right, fill a fistful of flour, which would be burnt on the Mizbeach, and the rest would be baked by the Kayanim, as matzah, of course, and eaten. That's on Pesach. And then starts counting of the Oymur, a lechem Lachem, Mimacheres HaShabbos M'yoyim HaVyachem Nufa, you start Sheva Shabbos estmimes. And as he explained in a it's not just a chronological siman when you start counting, But the Svaratim Lechem comes from the inspiration, from the gilui miyoyim, from the gilui of what happens when you lift up the carbon Oymre, which is Meichel Behem. Then comes Shavuos. What happens on Shavuos? Shavuos, there was also a lifting up, but of something else. They would also take flour, but not flour of barley, flour of wheat, and bake the flour into two lechems, two bikhalas, and this was Davke chametz. So this was flour and water, dafke chametz. And then this lechem, known as the shtei lechem the two loaves of bread that were brought on shvulis. And these, this bread was not offered on the mezbeach. This was eaten by the kayanim, by the way. It's not like the omer, which part of it went to the mezbeach. Nothing went to the mezbeach from the shtei lechem It was baked as chametz, the only carbon mincha baked as chametz throughout the year. And once it was baked on chametz, it would be eaten. But before it was eaten, it had to be uplifted, but it had to be lifted up with two special sheep two special sheep that were brought on, on Shavuos. Now these sheep were different than all Karbanas of a whole year. Why? It's interesting to know this. Generally, there's no such a thing as Shalmei Tzibur. There's no concept of the Tzibur bringing a carbon Shlomo. All the communal Karbanas that were brought every day in the Bessam For example, the carbon Tamit every morning and afternoon. The carbonus Musafim every Shabbos, every Yom Tif, every Yom Kippur, Etc. Carbonus Musaf, these were all oilus. All oilus. Or Carbonus Chatos, there was always a goat that was brought as a Chatos. Like we say when we discuss the Carbonus, right? Yomtef, you have its Karbonis Musaf. There was only one exception, and that is, on, on, on Yomtif there were two sheep brought as Shalmei Sibur. As carbon as of the whole community. What's, what's the difference? Of course, a carbon of the whole carbon is burnt on the mesbech besides the height. The carbon shlamim is eaten by the kayan. So, this was shalmay tzibur, the only time that the tzibur brings a shlamim, two sheep, that was uplifted with the bread. They used to put the bread on top of the sheep, and the kayan would lift up the two sheep with the two chalas of chametz, And then the two chalas were eaten by the kayenim, the sheep were offered on the mezbeach, and the blood was sprinkled, and the rest of the sheep they would eat also in Kaidush HaKadosh, not in Kaidush HaKadosh, it was called Kaidush HaKadosh, which was eaten in the Beis HaMiftish, No shlomim. No shlomim. A shlomim is an animal. An animal. Minch is not shlomim. Minch is a grain offering. Mincha by definition is a is a carbon that's brought only from grain, from meal, from 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 produce. The word mincha represent mincha literally means a gift, but the word mincha represents only a carbon from grain, always. Now, all the carbones tibur came with menachas. They always came with menachas. They came with a meal of it. They also came with wine, libations. But the carbon shalme tibur is only once shvuas two sheep with the lech. So, uh, so the Balatanya explained. So, this was a unique thing that happened on Shavuos. Lift up the sh- and it was Davka Chamas. So he explained. Bariches, his line was that the tachlis kol ha-briya is what liyos hayesh Batla You remember that the tachlis of the whole briya is there should be the yash la line, which means the alignment of the yesh with the ayin. Or in simple English, you would say that the tachlis of the whole briya is to synthesize to align matter with energy the physical with the spiritual the body with the soul to reveal the relationship between the yesh and the ayin yesh literally means something ayin means nothing so when he says there should be bitla yesh la ayin it means that the yesh the egocentric uh, the egocentric quality of the human being of the of the universe should become aligned to the ayin too it's invisible spiritual energy which looks like nothing it seems it seems it's intangible and therefore it looks like nothing and in every world there's a different type of Hayesh based on the capacity and the awareness and the sensitivity of that world of that person of that state of mind and so forth the muscle for this is in a body in a body all the limbs of the body are completely loyal and connected with the consciousness in the body, with the, with the brain, with the nervous system, with the soul in the body. There's no struggle usually between the limbs of the body and the brain because they completely see themselves as one organism with complete achdus, with complete bitl. They don't have any life outside of the life of the soul. It's not like they have another identity that they have to surrender, that they have to squash, that they have to repress. They don't feel that they have another chayus outside of the chayus of the soul. So therefore all the evarim, all the limbs, naturally obey the will of the soul, the will of the person. Why? Because that is their very identity. That is their reiz and deyeta. That is their very, that is their being. They don't see themselves as another being with a struggle. Who am I as an individual? Am I an individual? Am I part of the body? The pinky says today, I'm not part of the body. Who are you to tell me what to do? They see themselves as one. This is a marshal of real bitl when a person recognizes that his or her identity is really part of the divine identity. There's oneness, there's an organic oneness in the world. My entire life, my entire identity, so to speak, it's like a limb. I'm an expression, I'm an extension. I'm one ever of the Shekhinah. So this is what unity means, what alignment means. But in in in, in nature we don't see this, he says. By a person we don't see this. The only place where we see it is an animal. In animal life we see that the animal has this capacity to completely feel and experience itself as part of its master, part of its owner, without a struggle. And he says the reason is because the animal spiritually comes from a very, very deep and lofty place of divine energy where it's completely bottled, it's completely one. It's just the way it morphed into this world It fell, and now the bitl is directed towards the person, towards the owner of the animal. But essentially, everything in the physical world is really spiritual energy. And the spiritual energy in its source comes from a very deep place of oneness with Hashem. And that's why this quality the animal still retains, even though it became an animal. Even though it became a beast, even though it morphed into something so different than it was in its original source, it still retains this quality, this virtue. Even post-trauma, uh, post-nephila, post-shvira, post-breakdown, you could still recognize original virtues and qualities, even though they're misdirected, or, or oriented in different fashions, or expressed in different ways, but you still see the same quality. So in the Beheime, you see the quality. And the whole idea of the carbon was to trace the animal back to its source, to its energy and its source, where it was completely one with the divine energy. That's what the carbon is. The carbon is Reach Nechayach L'Hashem. It, so to speak, goes up to Hashem. What do you mean? It goes up to Hashem. Hashem eats meat. He, he likes the smell of the animals being burnt on the Mizbeach. It's a pella, But the idea of Reach Nechayach has to be understood. That the energy of the animal, which was originally really one with the divine energy, it just came down into the physical, that goes back to its source through the carbon. And that's why he says, what was chosen for carbonus? Not all kosher animals. Very few. Bakar. There's only three types of animals they allow to do a carbon with. Three types. Bakar. Mammal, in other words, oxes, uh, bulls, cows. Jashar, the bull. And then you have kevis, you have the sheep, and you have a's, you have the goat, that's it. And then you have the birds, you have the turtle doves and the pigeon family. But that's it. Why? There's more kosher animals. The answer is because he says from all of them, the behemoths have a much deeper bittle than chayas. In behemoths itself, most animals, karbanis, were kvasim, were sheep. Because sheep have this teva of bittle, of dedication, of surrender even more than any other animal. That's what he says, HaKvosim, HaKsavim Hifrid Yaakov, the Pasuk says by the story with Lavan and all the Sheba, Yaakov separates the Ksavim, the Kvosim, the Kvosim represent the Middah of Yaakov, which is Rachamim, their koil is more Rachamim, their nature is Ma'iri Rachamim, because they come from a deeper spiritual source. And that's why even here, Lamata they still have that weakness, and that sense of submissiveness, they are docile animals, and you feel in them the nature of vital more than any other animal, and that's why it means that even in this world, you could still see more of the original spiritual quality, and that's why this was the greatest, the, the most carbonous in the Beis HaMittush were brought from what? From sheep, more than anything else, even though there were goats brought, and rams, rams is a family of sheep, and bulls brought, but most of them were sheep. Like every day, the carbon talmud, for example, every single day was sheep, and the carbonus Musaf was mostly sheep, usually seven sheep. Now he goes. This is the base. There's something interesting in chumash. I don't know if you realize. How do we say a sheep in Hebrew? Kvas, kevas. For example, we say every morning a sakvas aechat a boiker. It's usually chaf, bays, shin, kavish or kavas. However, there are a few places in Torah where it says Kesev. kesev. For example, in Parshas emmer Shur a Kesev. right? Shur a kesef. By Yaakov and by it says for Yaakov. So. Okay, what's the difference? But it's very important, because this is a, fun, a funny thing. You don't have that with other animals. It has a name. Hamar is a hamar. Shur is a shur. You don't sometimes start changing the letters. Here, usually it's kevesh, and sometimes it's kesef. What's the difference if the base comes before this? The so Balatanya says that it represents two states of the sheep. The sheep the way it is in its spiritual source, and the sheep the way it comes down here in the physical world as a physical sheep. So he says, When the chius falls down below to become physical, what does he mean, Lamata Again, we have to remember this Yesod. The Gemara says, Every blade of grass has a mazel that strikes it and says, Grow, grow, grow. Which is, of course, metaphoric of the idea that every blade of grass has an energy in it, a life force in it, that tells it to grow. What we mean tells it to grow, that means there is a spiritual life force in every single blade of grass. That means it's significant, it's prominent. Now we know, you know, in in the study of the world of botany, that plants have a life that surpasses anybody's imagination. They communicate with each other. They have a whole life force. I mean, today what they're discovering in plant life is is absolutely miraculous, stupendous, stupendous. How when they when they're being challenged by insects, right? They'll they'll send out chemicals which become warning signs for the bushes or the trees around them, which will now release chemicals to start protecting themselves from the onslaught of insects. Just the koyotzim. I'm giving one example. It's fascinating stuff, and. Uh, So this Chius Ruchni starts, not in this world, it's it's really divine energy, but the divine energy evolves, it goes through an evolution, and in the evolution, at some point, it goes through a nephila, which means a breakdown, a fall, it's not a regular evolution, it goes through a tremendous nephila, which means it's transformed in the process, from spiritual energy to physical matter, to the point that when you look at the physical, you don't even see anymore. The intangible, what it really is. All we see is the yesh, even though it's really ayat. So that's what he says when the sheep fell down, because in the source, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a chiyus, a spiritual energy, which is mamish one with Hashem, which is actually an expression of God. As he said before, that the behemoths in their source are yoinus, ba'irin, They are lofty levels in the divine energy, which are completely one with the divine energy. But here you look at a sheep or you look at an animal all you see is an animal with limited intelligence with all of its limited capacity just like when you look at yourself you see basically flesh. So he says when the sheep comes down the mata it's called kvasan the base precedes the shin. On the other hand we're soon going to learn there's something called kasev where the shin the shin precedes the base. What's the difference? Habeiz, is chachma, yibone bayis. Says, with wisdom you build a house. You build a house with wisdom. So in Nister, Kabbalah explains that Chachma and Bina, the two first cognitive qualities, which the Zayar says are two best friends that are inseparable, they are basically what's represented by Bayes. Two. Bayes is number two. It represents the first two spheres, the first two midas. First two cognitive faculties, chachma and bina, which always work together, because chachma is a flat. Chachma is like the father; bina is like the mother. You can't reproduce without the masculine uh, 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 semen, without the seed of life, but without the feminine quality, it's 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 nothing. It's worth. It's not nothing. It's meaningless. The feminine quality, the mother, the woman, takes the seed. Of course, absorbs it, conceives it, fertilizes it, nurtures it. And develops it into a full-fledged fetus after nine months. And then there could be birth. That's Chachma and Bina. Spiritually in a person's cognitive abilities. Chachma is intuition. It's a spark. It's a seminal idea. Literally like a tipa. A tipa is a under You put it under the microscope. There's a whole world in the seed. But what, it, what does one observe? A tiny little drop of life. But that drop of life, that sperm, contains within it a life. But not only if it comes together with the egg, only if, it's, if it comes together with Bina. Bina is development. Bina is explanation. Bina is taking an idea and turning it into a fetus. Taking a seed and turning it into a, a, a mansion, developing it. There are people who are geniuses and in inspiration, but they can't develop ideas. They always. These are people, every day they build a hundred companies in their mind. You know, I know people that have built more institutions than anybody in history, but it's all in their mind. All, always in their mind. And there's a special value to that. And then there are people who are Bina people. They're, you know, they're very good with, uh, with data and with analysis and with details. But really the combination of two is crucial. Because one is the genius, it's the spark, it's the inspiration. And one is taking the spark and developing it, making something out of it. And it happens to us. In other words, you have a dilemma, you have a question... So you're learning a shtickle gemara, or a sugi, or something else. It's not, it's not matter what you're learning, but it's something hard. It's something difficult. And you're lost. And you read it again. And you, you simply don't understand. Not because you don't know the language. You know the language. You're just not getting it. You're not getting it. And then you read it again and again. And you're, at some point you're frustrated. right? You close the book. So some people just close it and never come back again. But if you have the courage to revisit it, to think about it again, so, at some point, maybe you 're walking in the street, maybe you 're sitting on the couch, maybe you 're just reading you don 't realize how you, how you 're engrossed in this in this process, but at some point there 's going to be a aha moment as we call it an aha moment it 's like the light bulb, what do they call it the, the light bulb epiphany an epiphany the light bulb goes off in the brain say ah, I got it somebody says what do you get i don 't know <laughs> could you tell me i don 't know i don't know I got it I know I got it." It's almost like you're in the pitch dark. If you're ever in the mountains, it's pitch dark and it starts raining, there's a lightning. And the lightning illuminates the environment better than, uh, better than any light bulb, better than any light. The problem is the light stays on, the light bulb is gone after a few seconds. That's Chachma. Chachma is the epiphany. It's an inspiring insight that emerges almost from nowhere. We don't even know where it comes from. Where did the idea come from? It comes from a place called, what we call today the subconscious, the Tanya calls it Kaya HaMaskal, but the point is, it comes from a place that is unknowable. It's called Ayah. That's Chachna. And then Bina is the mother. A house is built by a father and a mother together. A functional, wholesome house is a house that has a father and a mother. The famous commentary of Shimshin Rafal Hirsch in Parshish Kisaitse, a very poignant message of Hirsch, says it says, But a Ben that they come to Bezin and they say, he doesn't listen to our voice. So the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that the only way he could be a Bensayur Ramayr is if Tati and Mami have the same voice. Now how often does it happen that you and your wife have exactly the same voice? It doesn't happen. That's one of the reasons that Bensayur Ramayr it never happened and never will happen. Because they have to have the same voice. So B'Shem Rafal Hirsch says What's the, who cares if they have the same voice or not? So he says there's a very profound message here. If Tati and Mami have two separate voices, in other words, the house is running... On two different frequencies. He says one thing, she says something else. He says one thing, she undermines it. She says something, he undermines it. He's giving messages against her. She's giving messages against him. Don't call the child a Ben Ramayra. <laughs> that's not a Ben Saru He's growing up in a house that's fragmented, that's dichotomized. That kind of Only if the coil is one coil, then you could say he's a Ben Saru As long as the house doesn't have one coil, don't blame the child. The child is brought up in, a, in, a, in an environment of fragmentation, of split. That's a very, uh, it's a very potent insight, I think. <laughs> so, the yibana, bias, to build a house, a house that we call a house, but the concept of a house, you need the chachma and bina. That's the base, that's the chachma and the bina. That's the base in the sheep. What's the shin? Shin has, shin is an interesting letter, shin has the three pillars that go upward on the right, in the middle, in the center, that's what the shin is, with a base on the bottom. So this is, After you have the Chachma and the Binah, which is the base, then you have the three Kavim, which is Chesed, Gvura, and Rachem, and that's the shin. And they branch out, and they come forth Lamat. Chachma Bina is cognitive, and the shin represents emotion. Emotions always follows cognition. Why? Because... You can't emote about something if you don't have a definition for it. All emotion is based on definition, and this is extremely important to understand. There's no emotion without definition. A person says, I'm just very emotional. No, 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 no. How we think about things is how we're going to feel about them. The only way you can emote about something is you have to have some definition for it. Now, the definition may be very primitive. The definition may not be worked out. The definition may be a definition that you gave something during childhood. You labeled your mother during childhood, probably when you were four and a half, and you cannot relabel her. So your emotions that relate to your mother are still emotions from when you were four years old, or your father, or your brother, or your sister, or your teacher, whoever. But the point is, the way we feel about things is the way we think about things. Because every emotion is preceded by awareness. Now, it's very hard to challenge yourself and say, one second, you're having emotions. But let's analyze how you're processing their information before you're having an emotion. What are you what are you identifying here? You're identifying here an enemy. You're identifying here why do I hate this person? Why am I angry at this person? Because I'm threatened by this person. Why? I labeled that. Why that item? Because of something they said. That's, so our emotions have nothing to do with the reality around us. Our emotion has to do with how we label the reality around us. This is what cognitive behavioral therapy is all about. Yes. Like yes. Perception right. precedes so the emotion. The perception always precedes the emotion. Now today you have, as he said, cognitive behavioral therapy that is really based on this premise. And uh, you know, people think it's Mamashah Shahidish of this generation. But the truth is, in, in the in title of the Balatanya, this is a frequent, frequent idea. He says this may be without exaggeration, maybe thousands of times, that there's no Midas without Seichel. Midas are children of Seichel. You can't have a child without a father and a mother. There's no such a thing. Children are born from products. They're products of something. We don't emerge in a vacuum. And as teenagers, we think we're born without a father and a mother, but we know that that's not the reality. We come from somewhere. So it's a very interesting idea. All Midas are children. When when you want to know a child, you have to look at the father and the mother. You can't look at a child in a vacuum. You can't study your emotions if you're not studying the parents of the emotions. The parents of the emotions are perceptions. So this is the base and the Shin. The base is the cognitive qualities of Chachma and Bina, Tati and Mami. Cognitive, that's all in the mind. Chachma is the spark, the insight. And Bina is the development of the idea. It results in the Shin, which are the three Kavim, the first three Midas, which is attraction. Rejection and empathy, as we discussed, Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes. Chesed is attraction. I'm attracted to you in a positive way. I'm talking. About, I mean, it can also be negative, but generally, I'm attracted. I feel close to you. Gvura is I recoil, I reject, which can also be very positive and very negative. Some things you should reject. Some things you should go, Igh, this is not for me. Right? I wish I would have had Gvura with certain things. Some things not, but the point is some things you should recall. It could be very healthy. And then Tiferes is empathy, which is a balance between the two. It's not that you're attracted and it's not that you reject it. It's that you understand, you experience the, the quality of the other, you experience the world of the other, and therefore you could make a judgment that sometimes rejects, sometimes attracts. That's the midah of Rachmanus. So that's why, and then you have the other midahs that are branched out of that. It's basically right column, left column, and center column. So that's the Shin. So the shin comes from the base. It starts with Chachma and Bina, and then it goes to the shin. Right? This is all the way the sheep comes down here below. As we're going to see, there's the way the sheep is up above. The way the sheep is up above, it's the other way around. The emotions precede the perception. And this is another fascinating idea that he often discusses, not often, but he discusses quite often, and that is that, uh, that in the shayrish, midos are really higher than seichal. Really Midas, emotions, come from a much deeper place than seichel, which is why they're so much more powerful. So although in the way we evolve we evolve as conscious beings, our emotions follow perception, in essence perception follows emotions, but not conscious emotions, subconscious emotions. And that's going to be the Kesev, where the Shin precedes the base. In other words, the Midas precede the Chachmah as we will see. So you have two, two sheep. You can call it a tail of two sheep. There's the sheep There's the sheep above And there's the sheep below And in Torah This is the Chiddush here it was, a, it was an extraordinary idea That in Torah whenever it says Keves We're talking about the lower sheep Whenever it says Kesev you got, You're talking about a different level of the sheep That's why it says yaakov. yaakov was dealing with the higher level of sheep Which he then separated And fragmented into the lower level of sheep As he will continue As Hashem will continue tomorrow have a wonderful day everybody. How does how is base? how is base or always to be the set of law? Bayes is Rashatev awesome. is binyan. The yi bona bias. Binyan. Shwana Malak says you build his oh, bias. Is bias. It's Rashateva's bias oh, and spelled it's boyna. Bias. Bias. Bayes spelled, spelled Bais. out and biased. So bias. And Bayes is also two, which is Chachma and Bi. So few Nikibus. Anyway, you, your toif is what I said.
1: Yeah, when you spell base out Bez, yeah it spells
0: out base. Yourself so is bias. You're so you're and it's bechachma yibane bias. And also the way that That's an additional var. This nakuda of. So it's like almost saying bechachma yibane base, bias base. Your mother is not really what the father. it's What you look at the father. You said that the whole thing you have to look at somebody. Yeah, of course. That's my idea. If I have a certain perception of somebody because they said something, so now oh this person is the worst enemy what if you, what if you could look at their words a little differently? you know what I mean generally if you're more wholesome in yourself so even if they say something that's let's call it mean or perceived as mean I could I could deal with it differently it doesn't have to go into my kishkas and turn it off I could say you know maybe he's having a hard day. You understand? I don't have to label, I could label things differently. But if I'm very sensitive, I'm a little kid, children can't do this. They don't have the discrimination that we have. So things go in and they sometimes stay there. And this person becomes forever a certain type of reality. Your own perception. This this idea of the, the spark of Bina being you know, the, a the, the moment and then being which actualizes it. Yeah. Is this have anything to do with R and Kalan which you spoke in, in K, terms yes. of R Yeah, Bina Chachma is pathless, and, you know, defined as Ayr and Bina I mean, as Kenan. Like it contains it, it uh, structures it. So when you say kevesh as a keves ha echa tasava boker, the asa keves hasheni tasabinarbaya? It's spelled kof, vase, and then you have the sin. So you said the base, base, when you spell out base, if it wasn't clear yesterday, base is base yud Sof. How do you spell out base? When you write base, not just the letter, but you write out a full letter, it's called the Mili, right? Aleph is Aleph Lamed Fe. Gimel is Gimel Yud Mem Lamed Gimel. Dalis. Yeah? So Beis is Bias. Beis. Beis Yud saf Bias. So it represents a home. It also is number two. So the Pasuk says, Shleim HaMelech says, B'chokhmah Yibana Bias. A home is built through Chachma. A woman builds her home through wisdom. That's the Lashem. So Emela and Bias is two. And the home is built through the father and the mother, which represents Chachma and Binnah, which is also the number two Chachma and Binnah. That's what the base represents. Then you have the Shin, and the Shin represents the three Kavim. The Shin has the three lines. And those are the three Kavim, the first three middas, which is basically Chesed and Gvura and Tiferes. Those are the first, those are the first three middas. Which come from the base, which come from chachman bina. As we explained, all emotions are based on a certain awareness. We emote in response to labels. Our mind, our cognitive faculties, our chachman bina, have to label things. Once we label them in a particular way, we can emote accordingly. Which is why the way we think about things is ultimately the cause of the way we feel about things. Now, what he doesn't say here, but it becomes clear, is the chaf, before the vase in the sin. Chaf is Rosh Kesser. keser. Chaf is Rosh Kesser, keser, which is the crown, that's above chachman Bina. So you have here a hierarchy. You have the chaf is, chaf, the chaf is keser, the base is bias, the home, the yebana bias, and it's two, it's chachme and, and then you have the shin, the last letter, which represents the three midas. So you have the keser, the crown, you have chachme the cognitive faculties, and then you have the midas, the emotions. What is the crown? Keser means a crown. A crown you wear on top of your head, above your head. In the system of Nister, in the system of Kabbalah and in the system of Chasidus, the first faculty above Chachma is called Kesser, the crown. But that's on top of the head. And because it's on top of the head, it's often associated with the superconscious. Superconscious means that which you do not always know about yourself consciously. Chachma is the bridge between the unconscious and the conscious. It's the spark of insight that enters into your brain apparently from nowhere. That's why Chachmah is a made up of two words, which is Kayachma, what. And one of the reasons it's called what, Kayachma, is because you're like, what? In the sense of it's seminal, it's sudden, it's spontaneous, it's a spark of inspiration, like a lightning that suddenly illuminates the dark desert. In the middle of the night, if you were ever stranded in the Catskill Mountains, or a similar wilderness, you went on a hike and you got stuck at night and it started to pour and then for the first time you saw what darkness is because if you live in an urban city you don't know what darkness is because even in the thicket of darkness you always have somewhere a light, a car, a lantern, a street light whatever it is. But if you're ever if you're ever struck really in the middle of darkness you get to feel chayshech and then there's a lightning you can experience the salvation of the lightning. The problem is the lightning goes away immediately. That's the spark of Chachm. And then is bina, which is the development of the idea. That's why it's the father and the mother. The father gives the seed and the mother develops it and fertilizes it and nurtures it and brings it to full, uh, what we call the full, full-term baby. Huh? Full-term. full-term baby, full, hopefully full growth, full development. And then there could be birth, and birth represents emotions. Children are the, so to speak, the emotions of uh, the, the, the the emotions are the children of our intellect of our cognitive faculties. So you begin with keser, you continue with base, you continue with shin. So he continues and he says, "Mashenkin kshehem and pedik The three lines from the top. When the three attributes, the three kavim, branch out. So that's when they come down below. But when they're in their source, they're unified. And there the order changes. The sin comes before the base. Why? The shin represents the midas that are higher than Chachma and And the Zoyar calls them mountains of darkness. Turei Chashuche. Now that's quite an interesting term. Mountains of darkness. Mountains of darkness means they're mountains and they're dark and these are the Midas Shalomaila Meachach Mevahasech and he says Achaksovim Hifrid Yaakov the Pesach says in Parshas in where is it? In Parshas Vayetze right? Perik Lamed Achsovim Hifrid Yaakov the whole story, Lovon was was uh, Yaakov was working for Lavan for twenty years, and at the end, Lavan says, "How do you want to be compensated?" So Yaakov did this whole plan with Lavan, a very perplexed and very strange uh, strategy in Vayesey, where he tells Lavan to remove all of the speckled and dotted uh, sheep and goats and rams from the from the Eder, and only those types that will be born henceforth will be his reward. And the Torah goes into the whole plan what Yaakov did. And one of the things it says is HaKesavim Hithrid Yaakov. Yaakov separated the ksavim, And here, Kesev is not written in the conventional way. The sin comes before the base. Now he said before that Yaakov and Kev, Kesev are associated. Because Yaakov is Midas HaRachem and Kesev is the attribute, the animal that is most Rahmanus, and its coil evokes rachmanes. Its sound, its voice evokes compassion and empathy. And generally it's a very compassionate and sensitive animal, the Kesev. HaKsovim <laughs> Hifrid Yaakov here it says Kesef. So he's going to explain Alpinister homiletically HaKsovim Hifrid Yaakov Yaakov is the one who fragments Kesef. What do we mean he fragments it? From unity he creates period. He creates diversity as he's going to explain. SheYaakov Huamam Shech Pchines Yaakov is the one who creates the Pirut. He takes the Ksavim. When do you say Kasev only? When it's in its original source. We explain that every animal exists on two levels. There's the animal below and there's the animal above. The animal below is what it looks like right here. The animal above is the energy of the animal if it's traced back to its original spiritual source. Now this is a fascinating idea in general because it basically represents, today we take these ideas for granted because it's the basis of psychoanalysis. Which means, you tell me an emotion you're having and, and I'll tell you or somebody will tell you, wait, let's trace this emotion back to its origin. And when you trace it back to its origin, it's not easy, but then you see it completely in a different light. So the fact that I'm feeling something is what I'm feeling right now. But what if we trace it back to its origin? And we find out that this emotion developed within you many, many, many years ago as a result of a certain relationship or a certain fear or a certain experience, right? And then suddenly it's less scary. It's usually much more innocent than you imagined it to be, right? It's usually you'll have more compassion on yourself and so forth. And somebody met me yesterday, and they told me that uh, it took them close to 50 years to figure out why they had so much uh, anger and difficulty with the whole world. So this guy told me that he had an older brother who, uh, he had a younger brother. He was five years old, and he had a younger brother who had an illness, and he passed away when he was one. And uh, he saw after his brother's death, he was only five, how his parents' mood and demeanor changed completely, from happiness to sadness to anger. And as a five-year-old, yeah, they displayed anger to him also. So he blamed himself for the death of his brother. He understood that his parents were telling him that he's guilty for the death of his brother. They didn't use those words, but the way he interpreted their attitude to him, that they were probably grieving and so forth. He understood that they felt that he was responsible for the death of his brother. He didn't understand why he didn't kill his brother. His brother was sick, but that's how he took it. So he has been living for decades with this experience. Now, it may manifest itself, as it did, in very dysfunctional ways, extremely, and destructive ways, and sometimes immoral ways. So you look at the behavior, you say, this is immoral. You're right, but if you trace it back to the origin, it's an innocent child who loved his brother who's shattered by the death of his brother, and now has a double pain from the fact that he is perceived as the killer. You know what that does to a person, right? So this is called, in Kabbalah, it's called Seder Heshtal Shalos. means a chain. Everything is a chain. Don't look at the last rung. You have to go up to the first rung. And in the first rung, you'll trace it back to the first rung. Everything will change. Not because what you're experiencing is not real, but it's not in context. You have to see everything in context. Now, this is true with everything in the world. It's true even with a blade of grass, and it's true with a sheep, and it's true with a dog, and it's true with an animal, and it's true with everything in the world. Just tracing it back to its source. How far up? Oh, that's a long way up. And when you trace it back to its source, everything is pure. Everything is holy. Because in the ultimate source, there's no evil. There's no evil. There's an expression of the Balatanya in Tanya. Ein <inaudible> nim-takim All judgment becomes sweetened when you go to the source. And that's a beautiful expression. All dinim, dinim means harsh judgment, nim ala For example, your wife says something or your child says something. It triggers a very harsh emotion if you would go back to the shayrish, in other words, if you could really, really understand her and understand her in her shayrish, and then you'll see, you know what? What appears to be so harsh is really maybe just her way of protecting herself. So then you can have compassion rather than anger. And the same is true with yourself. If you go back to your shayrish, you'll be able to have compassion on yourself too. Huh? That's a good question.
1: That. That's a very it's good question. In all the
0: world, we have to judge based on no. where the came Yes, we, we, we can't ignore the manifestation, right? If a person uh, mm-hmm. takes an axe and hits somebody over the head and says, I'm dealing with a lot of anger because my father was an alcoholic, right? So he may be dealing with a lot of anger because his father was an alcoholic. There's no question. But what he did was horrible, harmful, immoral. In the Gemara's expression, habol l'hargach, hashkem Right? I can't say, let me give him a bouquet of roses and take him for anger management therapy and figure out why the suicide bomber would want to kill himself and a whole bunch of kids because what type of frustration he's dealing with. I always, uh, I was once giving a lecture to a very liberal audience. So I said, you know, you're all right. I agree with all of you. You basically say there's no terrorist. There's just a freedom fighter, who's frustrated with his conditions, and is doing the best he can according to what he was taught. I completely agree with you. My only issue with you is timing. Timing. What do I mean? In Aleinu we say, right? <laughs> khal khad one day in the world the inner goodness and core of humanity will be revealed Ki selam alaykum us as adam like the mission says, Chavivin, every person Chaviv adam shnevre bitselam i don't mean bitselam the organization bitselam no i mean bitselam uh, alaykum and then i agree with you the problem with you liberals is you're too messianic. You're, 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 you're you are you, Your messianism is being hastened too fast. You already are living in Mashiach right now. I wish you were right. I, I'm, I'm on your team. I'm ready. I'm ready. But when this Hamas or Hezbollah or ISIS monster is coming, right? tragically, the fact that his, he has a Tzalem al-Akim has been completely eclipsed. By indoctrination, by education, by religion, by uh, by uh, his upbringing, by his own, whatever the situation is. So there's a complete uh, there's a complete split between the shayters. But you're asking a big question. Why does it say in Bereishis, "Keepitzelim alakim asa"? Every person was created in God's image. That means every person doesn't say an exception. What about what about uh, these monsters? Are they b'tzelim alakim? Yeah, and that's the tragedy. The tragedy is, I think the Altar of Shabbatka once said, Altar of Shabbatka, one of the big Bali Muslims said that there's a klal, it's a, it's a very known klal, whatever is higher falls lower. The fact that you could see that a person can behave worse than a beast, because even a lion and a lioness, yeah, when they're hungry, they attack their prey. But stomp to, uh, to murder and kill and brutally torture for absolutely no, uh, no protection purpose. He said, "This is this is a kayak of an adam, only a person." So it shows how high a person is that they could fall so low. So this is a general concept that we live in a world where the source and the manifestation are often miles apart. So you're right, you're right. But nonetheless, every Nakuda in its ultimate shayish is a different mitsias. It's a different mitsias. But it, 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 it comes down, and sometimes it falls down. It doesn't come down. It's called an afila. It's called a traumatic experience. So, now, this is even, you're talking about real bad stuff. Here we're talking about just a physical thing. It's not bad. You're talking about a sheep. You're talking about the carbon. in it's shayrish. It's a whole different, it's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different Indian. So the, the Kevis operates on two levels. Now, the kevis is associated with Yaakov. Haksavim Hifrid Yaakov. Yaakov is the one who creates the fragmentation. He takes the kesev and he turns it into kevis. He takes the kesev, the sin the sin before the base, and he turns it into kevis, the base before the sin, which is a state of achdos to a state of pirut. In the source, it's complete oneness. As he said in the source, the chius of the animal is one with God's energy and completely bottled, completely aligned with God's energy, like the limbs of the body and the body. Like the relationship between the limbs of your body and your brain. This complete oneness. It's complete integration. We experience ourselves as one large organism, not a separate fragmented being. The way the animal comes down, the bittle is directed towards the master. It doesn't have that spiritual sensitivity and consciousness to even be aware of the divine. Basically, the animal, the sheep, or the other animal, the domesticated animal, becomes subservient to its master. So it's the same quality, but it's expressed in a completely different way. There it's a world of complete unity. Here it's a world of period of fragmentation. Yaakov is the one who creates the kesef into the keves. V'haksovim hifrid Yaakov. Hifrid not only separates physically, that's the pshat. Hifrid means separates existentially brings it down from a place of oneness to a place of fragmentation. And that's the key difference between the higher and the lower. In the higher, everything is unified. In the lower, everything is fragmented. We don't see everything as one, as cohesive, and therefore as purposeful. Everybody is basically on their own. Everything is on its own. Right? Even in our own days and nights, life is fragmented. Today, now I have to run here. Then I have to run there. There's shachrus. There's appointment. Another appointment. This, 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 and everything is its own separate headache that's self-contained. Really, in the higher place, it's all one. It's all unified. Or to put it to put it simply, if a person experiences themselves as an as as an ambassador of God, so basically all of their work during the day has one one uh, one larger meaning, one larger purpose. Now the Gemara says in Chulin, a very interesting Gemara. I think it is, or Tzadik Aleph, that it says in Yakov had a dream. He saw the ladder on the ground going up to heaven. Mutzav I mean, the angels are going up and down. And the question is, why were they going up and down? Humans go up and down for exercise, hopefully. But why am Alochim going up and down? They don't eat. They don't need exercise. They don't have obese problems of obesity. They don't come to the kiddush. They leave after kedusha. So the question to answer the Gemara says is: They go up to look at Yaakov's visage above. They go down to look at Yaakov's visage below. So they go up and down to look at his image above and his image below. Which, of course, begs the question, why did Yaakov have two images? And why did they go up and down to look at these two images? What does it even mean that there is a dyokin? You know what a dyokin is, yeah? A visage, an image, a face, a picture, so to speak. A a, a reflection of Yaakov above, a face of Yaakov above, and a face of Yaakov below. But here we can understand it. Once a whole uh, Shia that Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik, Rabbi uh, J.B. Soloveitchik from Boston, Shibu Sabaen Yitzhak L'chanan once gave on this. I'll put it in his words. He said it very beautifully. He said that uh, every person has two images. There's the image above and there's the image below. Every person. Nobody has one image. You look in the mirror, you see your image below. This is what you look like. You go to your... Uh, you go to somebody to talk about yourself, to reveal yourself, you're looking at your image below, what do you look like. The mirror shows you what your face looks like, and maybe a deep conversation will show you what your kishkas look like. <laughs> right? And if you take an x-ray, you'll see what your inside looks like, and if you take a spiritual x-ray, you'll see what your soul looks like, or what your mind looks like, on some level, at least. That's your image up below. What's your image above? There is who I am, and there's who I was meant to be. Is who I am capable of being. Who was who I was called on to be. To put it in these words, when the Rebbeinah shalolam conceived you in his mind, what did he think about you? Take a person. You want to build a company. You want to build an organization, a movement, a website, right? Or any type of infrastructure you want to build. You have a dream. Before you build your organization, your movement, your business, your portfolio, you have a dream, right? Your dream is, this is what I want. Let's say you want to build a house, or your wife wants to build a house, more likely. You have a dream. The dream is, this is what I want. It's the blueprint in your mind. And in your dream, you imagine it in its full glory and perfection. When you're creating your new company, you're going to be making a lot, a lot of money, and you're imagining the success story, and this is what you see. Then there's the actual company you create. (laughs) There's the actual organization you create. And of course, it of course is somewhat of a reflection of what you dreamt about, at least hopefully, unless your contractor decided to do exactly the opposite of what you wanted, which is often the case. But to say that they mamish match would be a far stretch. When Hashem conceived you in His mind, what did He see in you? Do you ever think about that? Look at yourself, From God's perspective. When he thought of you, what did he see in you? He saw something in you. Can you see that in yourself? It's very hard to see that in yourself. Because we only see our image below. Our image above is what did God see in you? In other words, what did he like about you? What did he see as your potential? What is your ultimate calling? That's your image above. Your image below is what you actually are. Before finding it out, you first have to be aware that it exists. That's the, that's in many ways the hardest thing. One way of thinking about it is: every morning we say, Ahavas olam, Ahavtanu. Did you ever stop to think about the fact that you're saying now, you're talking to Hashem, and you're saying, "You actually love me eternally." Avas olam, or according to the Ashkenazim, you say, "Averab" is even more than Avas olam." <laughs> Avirabba means abundant. Avasailam means eternal, or avasaylam as big as the world, everlasting. Because a taich avasaylam I once saw. We say also in in reshchaidish we say uh, what's the lashon avasaylam tavi lahem ubris avas labonim tisker. What's avasaylam tavi lahem? Avasam tavi lahem means um, how much love is there in the world? How much love is there between a mother and a child? One mother and a child. A lot of love, right? Now, take a second mother, a third mother, a fourth mother. Take all the love that exists in the world, in people's hearts. It's a lot. But now take all the love that exists in the world throughout all the generations. From Chava, from Adam, all the way down. Every mother, every father, every best friend. All the love. It's a lot of love. Say, avas <laughs> mahaftanam the love that exists in the whole world, in all the generations, that's how much you love me. Now that's a very, very uh, profound statement in davening, that a person should actually stop and meditate and be mindful uh, and have simple, I'm talking perish I'm not talking here uh, kabbalistic uh, kavonis of, of the arizal and the rashash. I'm talking about uh, simple perish that you actually love me you're crazy, as we say in English, you're crazy about me. <laughs> so why do, why do I hate myself so much? What do you see in me? That's the <laughs> Shal Yaakov Lamayla. The Shal Yaakov Lamata is <laughs> basically, you know, Charlie down here. Who am I in reality? Now let me tell you something. What is the definition of Gehenna? In English we call it hell, purgatory. So we have a conception of a grand Lagba Oime bonfire in which you're going to be thrown into it. That's basically how we're taught, more or less, what Gehenim is. Right? Dante's furnace. There's a big furnace, and it depends how many times you sinned, is which level of the barbecue. Some guys will be on the lower level of the barbecue, there'll be the small bonfire, the big bonfire, and then the Miron bonfire is reserved for special souls. Some will be setayed, broiled, some barbecue sauce, some ketchup. That depends on God's mood. When you, when you come up there, you know, or how, not his mood, but how bad you were. There's only one problem. The problem is that one of the fundamentals of basic philosophy and spirituality is that there's, that we're not dealing with physical stuff, so there's no fire, there's no barbecue, and there's no, uh, there's no barbecue sauce, and there's no grill, and there's no grates. The whole thing is metaphoric. It's metaphoric. So really, a way to understand this, the Baal once said this in his own way, I'm just putting it in this context. When your image below meets your image above, for some people it spells paradise, and for others it spells hell. You understand? When you come face to face with yourself, meaning with your image above, for some people it's a moment of extraordinary uh, emotion, and for some people it's a moment of extraordinary shame, of extraordinary pain the mismatch the the what's the word the the dissonance oh, the dissonance the dissonance between who i am and who i thought i am who i am and who i became who i could have been and who i actually morphed into that's a very painful dissonance which spells which spells hell and a person has to work through it so Yaakov, the Malachim, went up and down because for the first time they saw somebody in whom the two, images, the two images matched each other, which is very rare. It's really very rare. So here we have this concept that Yaakov takes the Ksavim, ksavim and separates them into the Kvasim because Yaakov's whole objective is to translate the world of unity into the world of fragmentation. As he's gonna continue. This is the one whose image matches above and below. That's why he can do it. <laughs> that's why he can do it. As you'll soon see. His objective is to be able, that's the power of Rachamem, empathy, which always reaches the highest of the level. As I mentioned, even in the abyss, you could still feel bad. You may not feel love, but you could still feel bad. So Yaakov is the one who could connect the Kessef to the Khevis, as he's going to explain. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net.